Michael Glab here. My guest this week, I'm telling you, this is the treat of treats. Right here in the studio, Phil Proctor, David Osman. I'm pointing at them like that'll do. On like the radio, we should, right? we should say something. Like I'm David Osman, and he's and I'm David Osman. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. Just hopeless. <laughs> you guys are used to each other. Yeah. You should know that. Used now. to each other. We've driven over each other on many highways. Like thump, thump, We're so gentlemen. hip, we're joined at it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, that's who we are. And uh, you, so what or do you want to like know? It. Nothing. Yeah. Oh, jeez. See you later. All right. It was nice seeing the studio, yeah, though. Happy to be in. here. I like your I like the your style of your beard. But <laughs> nobody can see that over the radio, so you got to talk about well, here, it. You can you hear know? mine. Oh, oh, man alive. Yeah, scruffy beard. Okay. Now, for the youngsters among us, boy, I sound like I'm all the same. They're all youngsters among us. The youngsters among us. At this age. Some of them might know what Fire Sign Theater was. I think it's more important that some of them might not know. All right, so what what was it? I can't remember. (laughs) No, a four-man satirical comedy group. This is Phil. That was, this is Phil, that was uh, formed back in the... Mid sixties, would one say? First time we got together was um, nineteen sixty six on the radio on a public radio station, KPFK in Los Angeles. Just supported, and uh, they had to beg for money. Oh yeah. Well, it all happened because, because they begged for money. That's right. And uh-huh. and I was on the air begging for money. The very first marathon that ever happened at a public radio station, we were raising on sixty four thousand dollars. I think it was to That's support the station. To support the exactly. station, right. listeners subscribed for twelve dollars a year. Huh. And this is early sixties. A okay. dollar a month. Can you imagine? <clears throat> yeah. 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 And it supported the station. Anyway, uh, we were doing um, a fundraiser. I was working not at the radio station, but for uh, uh, television. I was at ABC Television. <laughs> what a terrible year that was. <laughs> and uh, Phil Austin was our our late partner. Phil Austin was working at the station as the drama and literature director. And Phil Austin and I sat across the table, just like you and me, and we raised loads of money. We were just a fabulous hit together. It was great fun. Really? And then Peter Bergman arrives on a motorcycle, a classy, classic, classic yeah, motorcycle. Let me, let me intercede. Yeah. That, that I went to Yale with Peter Bergman, and he wrote, I'm a class of 62, he was in 61, he wrote, uh, co-authored and wrote the lyrics for two musicals that I was featured in, written by Austin Pendleton, called Tom Jones, where I played the title role, Yep. and Booth is Back in Town, where I played uh, Edwin Booth. Okay. The brother of. The brother of. Yeah. The bad booth. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so, and I lost a track of Peter and. And he. Hey, those Yale guys are always dropping names. They are. They? They, <laughs> they are. They are. They, they, there's a lot of names to drop there. Yeah. There's so a lot anyway, of names rum, to just cross rum, off. Rum, here yep. he comes. Rum. So Peter had just arrived from a uh, the uh, Berlin Colloquium, uh, Literarischer Colloquium. Jawohl. In, jawohl, in Berlin. Yikes. So he came with a lot of cred, you know. And he had just been in Amsterdam with 
Provo, and he came with a lot of cred on this. And I remember motorcycle. he also worked with with Spike Milligan. From, yeah, he from had, the he goon had worked shows. with Spike on his way. We were all Goon yeah. Show fans. It's something that brought us together. So he arrives at the radio station and it goes on the air and it is a huge hit. Boom. Immediately they give him a radio show. He calls it Radio Free Oz. There's some loser who's on it with him. The loser gets lost. Yeah. Finally, it's uh, Peter. He's on from 11 at night until 2 in the morning. Yep. And. I think he's just crazy. He had the gift he is of so glab. Cool. I mean, gab. Wow. Glab. And so, hey, give him credit for remembering my last name. <laughs> <laughs> he should be a politician. <laughs> then he just points at you as he crosses in front of you. Yeah, points at you, meaning I know you. Yeah, yeah. I know. Hi, pal. My so, grandfather was a politician, and he was a state senator of Indiana. Well, Robert E. Proctor. And you're related to Yoder's. I am Amish and Irish. Right. And I'm Mishma relatives. From Goshen, Indiana. Goshen, Indiana. If you move the letters of Goshen around, it spells, he's gone. And I, wow. <laughs> and you were. I were. Yes, but the Amish side of my family uh, is written about by uh, Joseph W. Yoder in a book called Rosanna of the Amish, which is in its 250th printing right now from Yoder Publishing, and it is a very, very famous story about the Irish, uh, uh, this Irish orphan marrying into the Amish community back at the turn of the century, or the early 1900s, I can't remember when. And uh, it's even a miniseries online, Rosanna of the Amish, very famous. That's my family. Hey, wow. before we go any further, yeah. I want to say why the heck you guys are around here right now also okay. funny guys did you do you remember your parents saying what do you think you're funny did they ever say that <laughs> i just turned on the radio guys uh-huh. i've never done no. now millions of people as we know all around the world know you as funny guys mm-hmm. you're bringing some of that funny here to south central indiana there's going to be several shows going on let's go over a couple of them okay you're going to be at the brown county playhouse tomorrow night That's friday right. night That's may right. 31st you're going to be doing something called the art of radio and then sunday that would be june 2nd you're going to be participating in the firehouse follies fireheads and tails mm-hmm. that's right here at the waldron center yeah Phil Form, Proctor, a former firehouse, right? It is, yeah. yeah. yeah but... Phil Proctor, David Osman, Gary Sandy, the uh, WKRP in Cincinnati yep. man. He also uh, does regional theater now. I yeah, wanted, he does. Yeah. Yeah. We've we worked with him a we lot. We worked with him well. a lot. Yeah. I wonder what's more fun, doing a network sitcom or doing regional theater. What would you guys guess? They're two different animals. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done both. And, yeah. and the... Uh, uh, te- anything that's on television is is g- grueling, yeah. Because y- you know you you have especially if it's not before even if it's before a live audience, yeah. You know because you're doing retakes and you're honing things and maybe they change the line and they want to try that out, and you work long hours. But it's you know I mean you're you're on television, so you kind of go like, well, this is this is all right. It's worth the it. money's good. Yeah, the, the money is good. good. Money's much better now than it used to be, yeah. mind you. Oh, much much better now, but. Yeah. I'm going to segue back because we're talking about being funny guys. One more thing. Wait, oh, yeah, wait, yeah. Wait. Oh, if you may. Thing. Yes. Okay. I want to get the third thing Oh, in. yes. There's a course. poetry reading. 
Who's doing the poetry? Well, it's going to be uh, me, and it's going to be Joni, and it's going to be Tony Brewer, who is really well-known in this area. Tony is a fabulous poet. He's tall. Yes, he's He's a little tall. (laughs) Tall in the saddle, anyway. And I will be adding uh, a funny element. A funny element. Uh But we'll be talking, we'll be doing a piece of... Argon, maybe? Ardan, the story of the death of people in the First World War. It's a laugh riot! There are so many references here. You guys are kings of references. Oh, it's we're good. The, live as long the, as we have. We're Arcanians. Anyway, they'll be able to hear uh, a, a substantial piece of an interview with Allen Ginsberg. I was the first person to interview him on radio in 1960. Will that be so the Saturday that will night be, event? That will be part of the Saturday night okay. show. Are you as, playing that? Is that something as, we'll all no, listen to? No, we're, I'm doing it You're with Tony. You're recreating it? I'm recreating it with Ooh, Tony. And where yeah. will it be? At the uh, back of the bear, the bear's, the bear's place. Bear's place. place. Yeah, the in back the, room. In the cave at yeah. Bear's Place, yeah. where Seven. you can get a nice nap if yeah. you want during the show. Yeah, yeah. Just the hibernate. Dim. Yeah. Hibernate if you need to. Seven to nine on Saturday night. You can hyperventilate if you really enjoy the show, too, and you laugh so hard, you see. so. Why do you guys come here to Bloomington? We Because Bloomington wants us. And well, that's one we've thing. We've always known uh, Bl- Bloomington Richard Fish, who was our longtime friend for forty over forty years. Yeah. Richard, we've wor- you worked with him in many plays. We came to Bloomington um, in the late nineties to do all of the sound effects for a production of uh, uh, Goldfish by Raymond Chandler. Uh-huh. Uh, we did that all the effects, David. the doors yeah. open and close and all of that. Did that with uh, Judith. That was a Otherworld Productions. Uh, Otherworld yes. Media Production. Was Harry Anderson in that or was that? Yes, Harry was in that. Yeah. He was fabulous. Oh, we want to talk he about Harry. He was the Harry bad Anderson. guy. Harry was wonderful in The it. late Harry Anderson. Um, but how did we that. get together? Yeah, well, did we get together? Peter's on the air. I'm stopping in the driveway to listen to his program because he is so <laughs> incredible. And and uh, Phil Austin is his on-air producer, so Phil drops in, and he's and I finally dropped in, and we do a little three-card tarot. You know, somebody calls up and says, "Read my cards," and we go, "Hanged man," you know, upside down. You're in real trouble. Yeah. Oh, look at this! You're, you know, so we would do tarot readings on the air, and then as the pressure, the teen pressure in Los Angeles is building, building, building. I have to say that Art Kunkin is just recently oh, dead. Yeah. Art Kunkin, who founded uh, the LA, the, the LA uh, Free Press. Free Press. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very huge, okay? This is yes. huge. So we're approaching 66 now. And things that. Not uh, your age. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. Far Nin- beyond 1966. That. <clears throat> and things are getting really weird. And so this guy. Who doesn't know anybody in Los Angeles? He's, he's pointing his thumb at me, Phil Proctor. Comes this, out, guy. this guy. This comes guy comes out to Los Angeles. Segue to, uh, okay. I befriended Peter Fonda. I came out with Brandon DeWilda. This is, by the way, this is all in my book. Yeah. Where's my fortune cookie? Now released as a a, a podcast. Well, which was a podcast now released as an audio book. You met a lot of these people because. You have been described as a talented boy soprano. Yeah, I, I sang on Broadway. It's yep. true, I did. But uh, I used my 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 then tenor voice, uh-huh. okay, to travel through the Soviet Union with the Yale Russian Chorus in the summer of '59. Okay, so uh, uh, in any event, 
I found myself understudying Brandon DeWilde in a play uh, on on, uh, Broadway. And when it closed, we'd become very close friends. And we drove out to California together because Brandon wanted to get back into the films. And he had done. He had been very he famous yeah, Shane, for a film back, called Shane. "The Boy with Green Hair." Mm-hmm. No, he wasn't in "The Boy with Green." Wasn't hair. he? That wasn't. Oh no, 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 no. That was that was the boy with green hair. Yeah, Brandon was a blonde. No, he wasn't in that movie. That was somebody else, Tommy Short or something. No, no, I just no. saw it the other day, by the way. <laughs> Except that the, my color was off. It was the boy with blue it's, hair. With blue hair. <laughs> no, so, the movie lost so a you, lot. So we of would remember you Brandon to, from yeah. from what? From Brandon Shane. Shane from Shane. Come back, Shane. Of course, to let you know how old these guys. Are you actually remember when you could adjust the color on your TV? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and the rabbit ears. Oh right? yeah. Okay. Here, mom, hold it over there. Go stand there. Don't <laughs> right. move. Right. Yeah. And actually, don't crush that dwarf. Hand me the pliers. One of our major albums comes in part from the fact that you used to have to sometimes take pliers right to the back of the television yes. and turn those little knobs to make it stop going up and down and up and down <laughs> and up and down. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so we're back with Brandon DeWildo. All did, right. We did the show. The show closed. We drove out to. Uh, California together, and for some reason, he connected up immediately with Peter Fonda. So Brandon, Peter, and I became like the three musketeers, and we started hanging out together. And we went down to the Sunset Strip to protest a curfew that they were going to to, to oh. put on uh, to, to keep young people from congregating because, as David said, it was getting pretty hot and there was a lot of anti-war demonstrations. I believe day. they covered a lot of this in Dragnet. In just fact, the facts, just the, the facts, the, Mike. The Blue Boy episode with LSD yeah. talks about Sunset Howard Strip. Hesseman, huh? Howard mm-hmm. Hesseman played the, the head in that. You know? in that oh, yeah. get out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we go down there to see what was happening because uh, Fonda was working on a little movie idea he had called Captain America. But, of course, Marvel wouldn't let him use Captain America oh, yeah, back right. then. So he retitled, as he was retitled, uh, uh, Easy Rider. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because think of what he wore. So there we are, and there's the sheriffs uh, lined up on one side yep. and the L.A. police on the other, and they did a pincer movement to squeeze everybody together to create the illusion of a riot. Yep. Okay? And Peter got uh, beaten up, and Brandon got arrested, and I was writing for the East Village Other, uh-huh. and I had a press card with a big eye on it. Don't ask me why. Yeah. And I held it up, and the cops just flowed around me like a hot knife through butter. And uh, at one point during this protest, we all sat down. uh, We shall not be moved. And I sat down on an open issue of the free press. I sat on Peter Bergman's face. I pulled it out from under my ass, and it was a picture that said, KPFK newsman Peter Bergman interviews returning Vietnam War vets. Wow. This is Peter Bergman. I said, it's Peter Bergman. And so the next day, after bailing uh, Brandon out and all whatever else we went through, I called Peter. And he said, I'm the Wizard of Oz. And I said, oh, boy, you're really on the deep end here. He said, no, no, it's a, I'm doing a radio show. <clears throat> Why don't you come on down and play with us, David? So... For the first time, the four of us are in the studio at the same time. I, 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 by now, I'm kind of in awe of Peter. I know Phil Austin really well. He's five years younger than me. He's like, a, he's like, he's 25. He's, he's like a, kid. a puppy. He's like a puppy, and, and he uh, loves puppies. And yes, and he loves puppies. And, and Phil Proctor walks in, and and you know the Yale guys are together. And so Peter says, "Look, this is what I want you guys to do. We're going to do the Oz Film Festival." 
Yep. Oh, he said, okay. Uh, so, right. And so he picks – so Phil decides he's going to be uh, a Russian filmmaker and a French no, was, filmmaker. Yes, that's right. It was yeah. a French filmmaker. And Phil uh, Austin decides he's going to be a very strange British filmmaker who makes <laughs> very strange movies like Ants and Tangerine. And, yeah, and, and slightly adult yeah. films too, uh, like slight, Blondie Pays the Rent. Yes, Blondie Plays the Rent. You know. So, so he, he's, he, he, that's him. And I'm a guy who is uh, – I'm a Latin American guy and what I I really like to do is uh, I like to hit the camera in motion, man. I like to keep the camera in motion all the time. So what I do is go up to the Andes, and I get the bigger cameras now. I got the Panavision, and I take the Panavision, I push it off, man, and it rolls, and it's such pictures. It's psychedelic. It's really crazy, man. So... So we sit around and we improvise. We're, we're doing all of that, you know, and so uh, and then we start the to movie. show the movies. Yes, <laughs> we start to show the movies. So the you know, we're showing the movies on the radio. Peter's got this fantastic <laughs> audience. <laughs> you know, we're showing the movies, and finally we show one of Austin's oh, the adult films. Adult films. Yeah. And Peter, Peter says, oh, no, no, uh, well, no, no, we can't show it. Oh, we can't show that. And we say, well, well, wait a minute. It's a guy's film. We can't show it. He says, I'm shutting it down. <laughs> yeah, he says, the F-CC could take me off the air. Yeah, we right. can't do this. We a, can't you know, do a pornographic this. film on the Well, radio. it's public radio. What do you think started to happen? The phone yeah. rings off the wall. Right. Oh, right. How could you possibly censor this yeah. man? Uh, this is his movie. He has every right to art. show it. This is art. We're sitting here, and we all look at each other yeah. and say, we own the world. That's right. <laughs> we said, we've got something we, here. Anything we say, they'll believe. Yes. Yeah. And it's true. You we should can... run for president. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. did I ran did for we... president. Yeah, yeah. He's running for president right now. Uh, what or, have or, you guys or... not done? First <laughs> off, you know, I was going to go through everything you guys. I had never done. ice skated. Did you ice skate? Oh yes, I ice skated. Yeah, well, you well, have you never professionally. ice skated. Uh, not professionally. Well, but I married professional. a professional ice skater who would have saved Sharon Tate's life because wow. she'd invited her to dinner the night of the murders. Her name was Sheila Wells, which still is my first wife. And it was predicted to me that I was going to marry a, a little blonde ice skater because I'd done a movie with Henry Jaglum called A Safe Place. Yep. And I went to a psychic lady at the Dakota well, because, you know, I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff. I asked about my father who just passed away. She said he's learning needed lessons. But he said, you're going to go back to L.A. And you're going to marry a cute little blonde ice skater. And I went, oh. I get back to L.A. I go to a party the first night. There's Sheila Wells. I find out <laughs> she was an Olympic qualifying figure wow. skater. And she had a choice to make. <clears throat> Either she was going to pursue a, a, an actress's career or she was going to fly with the qualifying ice skaters to, to Czechoslovakia for the Olympics tryouts. Yeah. She said no. And that's the plane that crashed and killed everybody on board. Jeez. Everybody on board. And the night of the uh, murders... Uh, she had invited Sharon. Okay, Sharon and she became uh, uh, roommates at Universal because you were both starlets. Yes. And uh, uh, and so they were close friends, and she was invite she invited him over for, her over for dinner. But then uh, Jay Sebring called and said he was coming over, and Sharon, it was a hot day and everything. She said, we're just going to order Mexican. Why don't you come and join us? That would have saved me a nasty divorce. Yeah. But no. <laughs> what Sheila, a joke he Sheila, made. Sheila, I can't believe that. Life is a joke. But yeah. it's, a, it's a cosmic comedy. But Sheila had invited over another mutual friend of theirs. And so she said, I'll call you afterwards. And when she called, the phones were all down. And she did an intervention and said something's wrong with the phones. She called Colonel Tate. And by then, they discovered what had happened. Oh, my heavens. And the murderers washed their clothes, the blood off their clothes and their weapons on an open spigot 
two houses up from where I now live yep. in Benedict Canyon. Yep. We passed that house, the murder house you passed on uh, going up Benedict Cielo until Drive. they finally tore it down. Cielo oh, Drive. they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but pla- you'd, you'd say, oh, that's the house, yeah. you know? I mean, it was. I was in it. I went yeah, into the yeah. house because Rudy, who was the owner of the house, was somehow a friend. And I went in there and saw the scene of the murders and everything. Not the scene, but I saw the place where they occurred because Olivia Hussey was staying there. She was in town. Romeo and Juliet. That's right. She was in town to promote Romeo and Juliet. Why all this happens to me, I have no idea. But it's you know makes for good stories, I guess. It's David, in the book. And it's David, in the book. <laughs> is is all this true? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, yeah, it is all true. Yeah. I I'm going to make the next segue, which will take oh, you right to ahead. the to to the big truth. So knowing that we had control over people's minds, yes, over the radio, right, and that we had a very vulnerable and wonderful audience of what's now boomers of that yeah. age, believers, yeah. believers, seekers. Mm-hmm. Seekers. And Seeker born every minute, Dave. So Peter's program was so popular that he was invited by a producer at Columbia Records to do an astrology album. And he said, I have this comedy group. Well, he didn't have a comedy group. He called us up, you know, and said, I've got this contract. Brought Phil back on an airplane from New York. Oh, that was another bizarre story. I was living with a, a girl named Diana Dew who invented electric clothing. Okay. Oh, brother. There's a picture of her in the book wearing one of her flashy dresses. <clears throat> uh, and they were disco dresses. So you could adjust the rate of the, the movement and, and flashing of the paddles on the dress to be in beat with the music. And when, when she finally left Expera Puritanius. This is the 60s. I yeah, mean, her, it is. Salvador Dali bought all of her, her clothing. <laughs> no. All right. So I was living with her down in the East Village, which was really hip and happening then. Of course. We, Max's Kansas City every night. Yep. Oh, my God. And uh, and, and the, the affair reached an end. I just knew it. I'd, co- I'd come back originally to close up my apartment on West 11th Street. And I, it was just like it was over. Ring. The phone rings. Oh, Phil, it's for you. It was Peter Bergman. And he says, I've got a ticket for you to fly back to L.A. We're going to do our first album for Columbia called Waiting for the Electrician or Someone Like Him. Did you and know what he was talking happened. about? <clears throat> of course I did. Oh, okay. Because right. <clears throat> we had played with that idea yes, before. Uh-huh. Uh, as a as a mime, we were a, an expatriate. We were we were a group of like Eastern European actors, a theater troupe, <laughs> which had defected. Okay, <laughs> and we were all defective, and and we were performing this famous piece of ours, waiting for the electrician or someone like him, uh, to English speaking audiences. So we had to really mime it and create. It was crazy. It was we, the first the student uh, it was union, the first we performance, the uh, yeah, union. student union at uh, UCLA. <laughs> Very first show. It was Angry Arts Weekend, I think, something Angry like Arts that. Weekend, right. Yeah. yeah. And, so, uh, so how did yeah. we get, get named the Fireside Theater? Well, when there you uh, go. the very first, I should hey, have said I'm that. I'm going to go in the other room. You guys do the interview. <laughs> should go have right ahead. said that as part, of the, uh, as part of the Oz Film Festival. Peter actually said to us, do you mind if I call you the Oz Fireside Theater? As we walked in, we said, fine, fine, fine. And so when it came to actually have a contract, with Columbia Records, I mean Columbia Records, Bob yeah. Dylan. Yeah, that's big for stuff. A, I it mean Columbia big, big, big. Records, we could have been on, you know, anything. It, Columbia was huge. Those were in the days of the record club. 
Oh yeah, where you can oh, get yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. an oh, album yeah. for a penny. <clears throat> this was and uh, Clive and Davis. More elsewhere. Clive Davis was the the president at That's the time. Right. Clive, Big yeah, name. Clive would sign anybody. Yep, we yep. had we had two meetings Bless with with heart. Clive. Uh, the first one he was talking to Bob Dylan on the phone in the other room, but oh, we we that. figured he was always <laughs> talking to Bob Dylan in the other room whenever he met with somebody who wasn't Bob <laughs> Dylan. Me, I have to go talk to Bob Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah he said, "No, Bob, Bob, everything's fine. Yeah, we'll send it all out there." Yeah, hey, you got it. How you doing, Zimmy? <laughs> yeah. So, so he, they would have signed anybody. So yeah. they didn't know what we were. No. They thought we were a rock band. Yeah, and in fact, our entire Columbia record career, the decade that we were on, we handled ourselves and were handled exactly like a rock band. Yep. That's what we were. Right. And we were merchandised Rock that way. Canadians. We worked on the road that way. We were promoted that way. And you were played on the radio that way. That way, way. Yeah, exactly. That in the days when we too, could though. do that. Because, you see, we what, what we found that we had in common, besides the fact that we're all fire signs, I'm a Leo, Dave's a Sagittarian. Right. Peter is, was a Sag, is still a Sagittarian. He's just dead. And Austin is an Aries, and he's, uh-huh. he's dead too. Uh, but his sign lives on. Uh, anyway, uh, besides just that, we... Uh, we, we we had in common a love of radio and a love of the goon shows of surrealistic radio uh, and so and dadaistic radio uh, and so we went to the studios and we somehow all just immediately glommed on the idea of creating long form comedy albums that were infused with music and surreal sound effects like the goons used to do mm-hmm. and 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 a, a bizarre storyline a surrealistic storyline we're we're writing in the summer of 1967 listening to the a mono record copy of Sgt Pepper aha uh-huh. yeah, yeah we were yeah. always it, inspired by the goo- by the the beatles it, we also had uh, who called you the beatles the Beatles of Comedy, the Library the of Congress, Congress of the Library. United States, and and so much of your stuff is there. Now. We uh, they acquired uh, a ton, literally a ton of our archives that we've been saving. I I told these guys save everything, save yeah, it, yeah. save it, don't throw it away. You know, I yeah. remember Did when you, we were we no, were I saved everything. We were okay, selling good. scripts, you know, after performances. Twenty five bucks, you can have the night script. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I think Peter threw away the last copy of the last show we ever did you know sold it to somebody in 25 sold it but uh sold yeah, the american that was all, all literally 40 to 50 you know somewhere between 40 and 50 years of accumulated yeah. archive from all four of us yep uh and uh and i that there's still boxes i still have austin boxes yep and i'm and so let me see is there a segue out of that well the we, record we the record contract the came as um we were we were being produced by somebody we knew. We didn't know Gary how to Usher, produce right? an album, mm-hmm. you know. We didn't know studio production, big studio production. Learn. But we were on the same. We had the same studio facilities that the Beatles did. It was four tracks. Yeah, yeah. that's all. Yeah. So yeah. you recorded and you dubbed down. You recorded two more tracks and you, you dubbed, dubbed down, down. And you kept mixing as you, you went along. Right. You take some tracks and move them to another yeah. track. And yep. and of course, as our career continued, and I'm going to get back to the fact of radio in a minute. But as our career continued, the tape got bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, until they were like three inch, three, you know, three inch high tapes. Right. Big tape. We had pictures of ourselves with them and with a hundred tracks on them, and then. They all disappeared, and everything became digital. Ah. And the studio became a little box yes. that you could carry anywhere. And we worked with this wonderful engineer, uh, producer, Fred Jones, for years and years and years. And he helped us make the transition yeah. into the digital mm-hmm. era. But why were we played on the radio? Why? 
FM started. And FM was basically in the colleges. Yes. Okay. And they could play a half an hour or 20 minute cut on the radio. La, la, la. We've run out of time. Tune in next week for part two of our conversation with What's Left of the Firesign Theater on Big Talk. Phil Proctor, David Osman, thank you so much for being on Big Talk. I'm welcome. Big, big, big talk. Big. big. You guys it's are big. big talkers. It's big talkers. <laughs> I can t- it's I a can perfect t- marriage. I can talk big. But but then we can fade off Mike and you never hear us again. Here again, 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 again. again.